Good morning. I'd like to wish all of you a happy new year this year. Happy new year to all of you. We have made it through another, another year. 2015 is now in the history books. We're never going to go back there again. We can talk about it. We can reminisce. But a new year lies before us, and we're already a few days in. And one of the things that's always exciting on the first Sunday of a new year is that we can look back on what God has done, but we can also anticipate what God has yet to do and what he has in store for us in another year. That's sort of where I want to draw our attention this morning, and so I, I hope that you'll be blessed by the word that God has laid on my heart to share with you today. Would you bow with me, and let's pray. Father God, as we come into a new year, we first want to take pause and thank you for your faithfulness to us in the year 2015. We thank you, God, first personally, each one of us, Lord, we thank you for your salvation, which you have made personal for each one of us through your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that for each one of us here who has, by faith, laid hold of your salvation, that it is as real to us today as the day we first believed. Thank you that the reality of it becomes even more clear the closer we come to seeing you face to face. We thank you for this great gift. Help us to be always ready and willing and eager to share and to speak of this great gift so that others can receive it as well. Lord, we want to thank you for your faithfulness to our church family this past year. We thank you for how you have provided for us as a body. You have used us, Lord, for your purpose to sing your praises, to worship you and glorify your name. You have used us, Lord, to help heal the brokenhearted, to help feed the poor, to help send out your word around the world and in this community. And so we pray, God, that as you have seen fit to use this congregation for your purposes in the past year, we again, Lord, commit ourselves to you as a congregation for the new year. We are your body, we are your church, and you can do with us exactly as you see fit. And so, Lord, here we are. We are willing, we are ready to be used by you again. Would you use this body, Lord, to make your word known, to show your glory, not only to the nations, Lord, but to this community. And we pray, Lord, that you would be very pleased to use us. Equip us with what we need to be useful to you. And now, Lord, as we have gathered together again on this first Sunday of a new year, we have come to hear from you. And so, Lord, as we open your word, would you bless it? Father, I pray that you would give me the energy, the voice, and the spirit to speak your word that you have laid on my heart today. May it come from you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning by sharing with you a story that some of you may have heard before. The story goes of a 12-year-old boy who lived far out in the country in the late 1800s. And he had never before in all of his life seen a circus. And so, as you can imagine, he was terribly excited when he saw a poster announcing that on the next Saturday, a traveling circus was coming to his nearby town. He ran home, and he was so excited to share with his family the glad news that the circus was coming to town. And so he asked his dad the question, Daddy, Daddy, can I go? Can I go to the circus? He was practically jumping up and, down, up and down. Now, although the family was very poor, 
The father could just see and sense how important this was to his son. And so after a moment's deliberation, he said to him, If you do all of your Saturday chores ahead of time, I'll see to it that you have the money to go to the circus. Well, Saturday morning came along. The chores were all done, and the boy stood by the breakfast table, dressed in his Sunday best. His father reached down to the pocket of his overalls, pulled out a crisp new $1 bill. It was the most money that the boy had ever possessed in his life at any one time. The father cautioned him to be very careful with this $1 bill and sent him on his way to town to see the circus. As the boy neared the outskirts of the town, he began to notice that people were lining the streets of the, of the Broadway going right through the middle of town. And as he worked his way through the crowd, he, he began to look and to see what was happening. Why was everyone lined up along the street? And lo and behold, it was the approaching spectacle of a circus parade. The parade was the grandest thing, the most incredible thing this boy had ever seen before in his whole life. There were caged animals snarling as they passed by. The band was beating the rhythm and playing their trumpets. Acrobats were performing while flags and ribbons swirled overhead. Finally, after everything had passed by where the little boy was standing, the traditional circus clown brought up the rear. His face was all painted up. He had the big clothes on, the colorful shoes. And as he passed by, doing his juggling acts and making the children laugh and smile, the little boy reached into his pocket. He took out that precious $1 bill, and he handed the money to the clown. He turned around and went home. What happened? Why did that little boy give his money to the circus clown, turn around, and head home? Well, what happened is the boy, not knowing what to expect, thought he had seen the circus when he had only seen the parade. He didn't know what he was expecting, and so he thought he had seen it all. It was the best thing he had ever seen in his life, but going home, he missed the big top, and he didn't know the spectacle that lie inside. Now, this is similar to how many Christians live their lives. They think that all they've experienced of God in their lives, that all they've experienced to date is all that there is and that nothing new lies ahead. They are just fine with floating along in a, in a sea of mediocrity with the same old, same old, because I've experienced it all, I've seen it all, content with the knowledge that God has done great things in the past and that's good enough. They look back on the parade of past events and think that the best has already come and gone. When the reality is that the main event, the biggest things that God desires and intends to do in their lives, in their church, in their town, and yes, in their world, is yet ahead. And so on this Sunday, this first Sunday of a new year, let me ask you, do you want God to do something new this year? Do you want God to do something new this year? Something new in your life? Something new in your church? Something new in your world? Do you want him to? I don't see anyone jumping up and down saying, yes, I do. So maybe we don't. But whether you're answering yes on the inside or you're saying, no, I'm pretty happy the way things are. Here's the thing. Here's what I'm going to tell you this morning on the basis of God's word, whether you are ready for it or not, whether you desire it or not, 
God will, God will do new and exciting things in 2016. He will. I am here to tell you that this morning. And he doesn't need our permission, by the way. God doesn't need our permission to do new things. Quite simply, God will do new things, and he invites us to join with him in what he is doing. The only real question is this. Will we willingly and eagerly move ahead with him into the new things that he is doing, that he intends to do, that he wants to do? Or will we be content to stay with the same old, same old? Be content with him having done things in the past and so simply coast along in the present. Our passage for this morning and the key verse I want to read for you. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. Listen to what God said to Israel many thousands of years ago. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now the context of this passage is that Israel was right in the middle of suffering the consequences for the nation's many sins and rebellion against God. Of course, God desired, he wanted to bless his children. But as a loving father, he needed to discipline them in order for them to repent of their sins and return to him. Now, of course, discipline is never pleasant to those who are experiencing it. And so, in this course of discipline, of of rebuking his children so that they would recognize the error of their ways, repent and turn back to him. God also wanted to give them hope, and he wanted to encourage his children. He wanted them to know that even though they were being punished, they were not being forsaken. The fact was that God desired nothing more than to give Israel a fresh start, a new beginning in life. Of course, in this period, Israel collectively The people were discouraged, perhaps thinking that this time they had gone too far. This time they had sinned and rebelled to the point that God would reject them and no longer be their God. Of course, Israel could still remember all of the great things that God had done for them in the past. We see those referenced in the verses leading up to this. They could remember the great victories and the deliverances. They could remember when they were trapped on the shore of the Red Sea with nowhere to go, with Pharaoh's army bearing down on them, sudden destruction coming upon them. They remembered how God had reached out his hand, had parted the seas, and had made a way for them. They could remember that countless times the enemy had been about to overtake them, how he had provided protection for them. They could remember the former things, but they couldn't see their future. Everything looked bleak. Their their landscape looked barren. They had no hope for a future. And that is why God said to them, Look, behold, I am about to do a new thing. And maybe this is where some of you are this morning. Perhaps you're in a place in your life that you feel your best years are behind you. And so you're just sort of riding out the string of whatever time you have left. Perhaps you're one of those people who feel that you've made so many mistakes, that you've failed God so many times that now he's just finally fed up with you. 
He doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. Maybe you're still a Christian, but your usefulness to him is long gone. He couldn't use someone like you anymore. Maybe that's how you're feeling today. The good news is this. That God is saying to each one of us, no matter what you think, no matter how it looks, I'm not finished with you yet. I'm not done with you. I still have plans for your life. It may look like a boring and barren wasteland to you right now. You may think your future looks bleak and without hope, but I am going to make a way for you. Watch and see. I am going to do something new for you. But now chances are, if you're anything like me, when you hear a message like this, there's a little cynic sitting on your shoulder. Does anyone have the little cynic? Am I the only one? (laughs) We hear the promises of God. We hear the word of God. But the cynic is whispering in our ear saying, yeah, you've heard that before, but how did it turn out last time? Can anything really change for the better? Is there really anything truly new? The preacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 to 10, he gives voice to exactly that thought when he says this. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new? It was here already. Long ago it was here before our time. Now on one level, the human level, this preacher is absolutely correct. For all of our inventions and innovations, the basic motivations, appetites, and weaknesses of human beings remains exactly the same from one generation to the next. A new government will arise claiming that they'll never misuse power the way the old one did, until they do, right? There's nothing new under the sun. There's that saying, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, right? There's, there's just this cycle of how things go, and it appears that history continually repeats itself. We can look at the history books and see that it's true. The same patterns of human behavior have played out over and over and over again. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Babies are born, they grow up, and they die. Their end is all the same. It's like the shampoo bottle says, wash, rinse, repeat. And if you keep doing that, you'll just keep going until the bottle's empty. Wash, rinse, repeat. I can't stop. If anyone has OCD, they'll get that. Our world has a certain repetitiveness to it, and that is what the preacher in Ecclesiastes is referring to. There is nothing new under the sun. But we must remember that what the preacher of Ecclesiastes is pointing to is the human level of predictability. He is speaking of human behavior. He is not speaking of divine behavior or the divine level. You see, apart from God, there is nothing new, nor can there ever be anything new. God is the creator. We saw it in the video. All things that are new are because of him. So too in life, all things that are new, truly new, are because of him. Apart from God, there is nothing new. But with God, the new is not only possible, it is inevitable. Quite simply, God is in the business of taking old things 
and making them new again. That is what God wants to do with each one of us. He takes our old selves, he takes our flesh, he takes our weakness, he takes our sin, and he is in the business of doing what? Making us new, new creations. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes the following. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, he's stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You know that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. He does not seem to be doing things that make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He is throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, for he intends to come and live in it himself. This is the picture, I love this picture, of what God is doing with our lives. We're content with a little bit of improvement here and maybe a little fixer-upper there, but God is looking for an entire overhaul. He is making us new. The Bible calls us temples. For that is what we are, for he comes and lives in us himself. You see, God is not just building us, making us for the present. He is preparing us for the future. And we need to understand that God is far more interested in our present and our future than he is in our past. Yes, our past sin needs to be dealt with. It needs to be confessed and repented of. But once it has been confessed, repented of, and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, that sin is finished, and God won't keep bringing it up. It is in the past. The scripture says he removes it from us as far as the east is from the west. He will not remember it anymore. Now, the catch is there are, of course, consequences of sin that still need to be dealt with. But that is where God is there to help us through those and into a better future with him. His discipline of Israel was for their ultimate good, and to prepare them for a new future and an experience of God's goodness of him in a way that they'd never experienced it before. And so it is with us. If you have gone through or are coming through a season of correction, where you have felt that God has been disciplining you, be, be encouraged today. He is preparing you for a future, an experience of him that you haven't had before. He is about to do a new thing for you, just as he was for Israel. Now, of course, going through seasons of correction, as I said before, are never pleasant, but they're for our good. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says this, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, though Israel was still suffering the consequences of past sin and rebellion, God desired nothing more than to forgive them. And so he says to them, forget the former things. Stop dwelling on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? God desired to do a new thing for Israel, and 
He desires to do a new thing for you and a new thing for this church. Now I hope that excites you because I can assure you that that excites God. God simply loves doing new things. And are we any different? I mean, have you ever seen someone bored when they showed off their brand new car? Have you ever seen it? Have you ever had someone be like, hey, come in the garage, I got a new car in there, and they're like, bored about it? No, they're not bored about it. You might have been bored about it as they went on and on and showed you all the features and and showed you all the little bells and whistles and gadgets. You might have been bored and ready to go somewhere else by the end, but they were still as excited at the end as they were at the beginning. Why? Because it was a brand new car. We're naturally excited about having or doing new things. Some of us love to travel. You don't like going to the same place. You want to go to a new place that excites you. Now, for those of us who maybe can't identify with the new car, that's why we've come up with this thing called the new car scent. And it's the closest thing that I've gotten so far to the new car experience, but I breathe it in and it helps me to imagine it. Now, a new car might not excite you, but you'll have something new that excites you. Leanne still talks about how she loves that new baby smell. Apparently, that's a real thing, and she's not referring to diapers. She'll smell the skin and be like, oh, it's got the new baby smell. Now, I think mothers will probably get that. Dads probably don't, but we just think about diapers. We all love new things. And in a similar way, God absolutely loves doing and making new things. And he wants us to see what he's doing. He wants us to appreciate what he's doing, join in with what he's doing, and give him the glory. Here are just a few examples of God doing new things through the pages of Scripture. Of course, Genesis chapter 1. God creates a new universe, and he fills it with an abundant variety of new life. Have you seen all of the creatures that God has filled this planet with? No, you haven't, because there's more than we can see. They are still discovering new creatures in the bottom of the ocean. Why? Because he wanted to. He loves doing new and interesting things. He's made creatures with light bulbs coming off of their heads, swimming around down in the dark ocean. Why? Because he wanted to. He delights in it, making all sorts of creative and new things. Now, my son is just crazy about Lego. But one of the things that I have to admit that tests my patience is how he always wants to take it apart and build something new. And I mean right after we've just finished building the new set. It's enough to make me consider crazy glue sometimes. The craggle. No, I wouldn't do that. But one time, after I just spent about two hours helping him build his brand new set and he starts disassembling it, I just asked him, Why do you feel so compelled to disassemble and rebuild everything? And his simple reply was, I just wanted to make something cooler, Dad. (laughs) Yeah, something cooler than what I just built, right? Yeah. Well, I have to say that he's already building things at age four that I would have been proud of at age 10. So he's well on his way to being a master builder. But one of the things that I I believe that I see in his creativity, the way that he always wants to be building something new, something cooler in his words, something better with the Lego, I believe it's just one of the many ways that he is made in the image of our infinitely creative God who loves doing new things. 
We are made in his image. He is a creative God who loves doing the new. And when we have that desire within us to do new creative things, it is one of the ways we are being like him, even in a small way. Secondly, God makes each day new. I want you to listen again to our call to worship from Lamentations. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, we are not only in a new year, but we are also in a new day. Did you know that? Today is a new day. Tomorrow, when we get there, will also be a new day. Because of their sheer frequency, we take our days mostly for granted. But consider this. We have never, nor will we ever, live an old day. We just won't do it. Have you ever lived an old day? No, you can't. It is impossible. You nor I, nor anyone else in all of time and eternity will ever again live this day, January 3rd, 2016. This is our one shot at this new day. And then it's done. It will never again be relived. We will never live an old day. God has designed life this way for a reason. Each day is a new day. Each day arrives with new opportunities to experience God's love, compassion, and faithfulness. They are new every morning. And I have to remind myself of this because I'm not a morning person. So when I wake up, i got to tell myself, it's a new day. Be excited about this day because there are new opportunities to experience God this day. It is a new day. Let's remember that when we go into tomorrow. Tomorrow's a new day filled with new opportunities. God has made all of life this way. Thirdly, God is giving people new birth into his family. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. New birth. When a new baby is born into the Greening family, there is much joy and excitement. And currently, my parents have 11 grandkids and counting. And there's been other announcements made recently. Matt and Heidi announced uh, uh, last or two weeks ago, I think it is now. We missed last Sunday. But everyone's excited. We hear about new birth. It excites us. This is how it is with God as well. Each new birth is unique and exciting. It's special in its own way. And God is giving people all over the world new birth into his family every single day. Today, new people will be born into his family. Isn't that exciting? Today, people will be entering into his family. That means they're becoming our brothers and sisters. Did you know that our family is growing exponentially every single day? Our family is getting bigger. We have more brothers and sisters in Christ today than we did yesterday. Isn't that exciting? If that doesn't excite us, it should. Because this absolutely excites God. The Bible says that each one who comes to faith in him is celebrated by the angels of heaven. That means that heaven is one big nonstop party. The angels are celebrating each sinner who comes to salvation. Each new birth. Every single day. This is exciting. 
God is excited by this, just as we are excited by the new birth of a baby. Fourthly, God is making new creations for a new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Let me ask you, are you in Christ today? Are you in him? Then no matter how old you look or feel, you are brand new. And he wants you to live that way. He doesn't want you dragging around with a long face. Oh, life is so hard. Oh, everything's bad. He wants you to act as though you have life, new life within you. You are a new creation. Eternity is yours. He wants you to live out your new life in Christ with enthusiasm. Romans 6 verse 4 says, We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Can I get an amen? <laughs> new life in Christ is what this is all about. I know we're not an African-American church and amens, but man, if there's anything we're going to amen, it's that we have new life in Christ. Dour, gloomy, and pessimistic Christians must frustrate our Heavenly Father no end. He has done absolutely everything for us, hasn't he? He has saved us. He has redeemed us. He has adopted us. He has filled us with his spirit. He has equipped us. He is presently making a new home for us, and he will soon return for us. There we go. Now you're catching on. There is nothing that God has left undone. And if this doesn't fill our hearts with joy, if this won't put a smile on our faces, then, my friends, nothing will. Nothing will. Nothing can. And so let the joy of the Lord be your strength. That's what the Scripture tells us to do. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because His joy is within us. His presence is within us. He has done it all. So don't let discouragement or despair keep you down. Don't let the winter doldrums keep you dragging around with a long face. Jesus is in you. You have new life in Christ. Live out your new life with joy. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength as we enter each and every new day. Because finally, God will make a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 verse 1. In John's revelation, this is what he saw. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Verse 5. And then I saw him who sits on the throne, and he said, Behold, I am making all things new. For some of us here, heaven is closer than we realize. We all, and myself, I'm including myself in this, we all think of heaven as a distant, faraway land that, yes, yeah, someday I'm going there, but right now, this is my reality. Heaven's a long ways from our existence. But for some of us sitting here today, heaven is closer than we realize. Because whether Jesus returns to take us or we die and meet him that way, this year, 2016, could be the year that we experience the newest, brightest place that we have ever seen before in our lives. It will make the parade look like nothing. The big top is waiting. 
Heaven is going to blow us away. We're going to think of all of our experience in that parade of life and think, yeah, that was great where God did this and God did that. But my friends, when we get to heaven, it is going to be beyond anything that we have ever before conceived or imagined. It is waiting for us. God says it is coming. He will make all things new. Are we anticipating that that is where we are going? And so we make the most of the time we are given. You know, I was reminded of that just on our trip out to Alberta this year. We had gone to the McDonald's, of course. We can't eat anywhere else these days. The boys would have a riot. So McDonald's, we eat a lot of it. (laughs) And uh, we pulled off the off-ramp in Swift Current. And there was a semi ahead of us, and he was slowly making his way up the off-ramp back onto the number one highway. And we were following him behind him, and we made it up onto the number one highway, and we were picking up speed coming off the off-ramp. I turn on my my turn signal. I pull out to the left-hand lane to pass the semi. He's going slowly. I glance in my left-hand rearview mirror just as I'm coming out to make sure no one was behind me as I am pulling out beside the semi. And as I come back from my rearview mirror and I'm looking back ahead, I sense motion to my right-hand side, and I realize that the semi is changing lanes, coming directly into us without his turn signal coming on. He's just coming. And I just saw the motion, and instinctively my foot is on the brake. The semi saw us at the last second. It looked like he was going to clip the front end of our car, but he swerved back at the last second as my foot is on the brake. And it's over just like that. It happened in literally a second, this encounter. And Leanne puts her, her hand on my shoulder, and we carry on, and I waited a good long while before I ventured out to pass very deliberately the semi this time. Thankfully, it wasn't our time. Thankfully, things didn't go worse than they already did. But it was a reminder to me of the brevity of this life. It reminded me that the time we are given each new day is all we are guaranteed. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. And it reminded me to be fully invested in each day that God gives us. To be fully invested in the work that God has given us to do. To not be always thinking we'll have time tomorrow or the next day or next year. Today is the day we are given. Each day is new. Each day is a new opportunity to be used by God. And we need to be fully invested in what God has called us to do. For one day, perhaps sooner than we think, we will be with him in his new heaven, and we will be forever with him. And the only thing that we will never again meet in that place is a non-believer. For everyone will be a believer in that place. And so the time we are given, we want more to be born into his family. We will meet non-believers today and tomorrow. And so may we make the most of this time to make sure others are prepared to meet him as well in the new thing that he has yet to reveal. Because make no mistake, God is in the business of taking old things and making them new. He's not done with this world yet. He is not done with this country yet. He's not done with this town yet. And he's not done with you yet either. If you have a heart beating in your chest, he's not done with you. He's got you here for a reason. And so may each of us have the faith to believe that God has more in store for us. May we look for his hand at work around us. And may we claim his promises that are new each morning. He who promised is faithful, and he will do it.
for his glory and our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of the new. You delight in doing new things, and you desire nothing more than to do new things in each one of us this year and even right now. You desire to take us into deeper revelation of who you are. You desire to show us new aspects of your character, of your beauty, and of your power. God, you desire to bring new people into your family, that new births can be won in this community and in this congregation. We pray for that, O Lord, that you would save those who are perishing, that they could be born into your family and know the newness that comes from life in you. O Father, may we be fully invested in what you are doing in this church, in this town, in our families. May it be done according to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.